First, I'm going to release the youth. And, uh, and um, yeah, I'm just going to ask Suzanne, just going to build in on what we've just been talking about. We've been talking about freedom and transformation and, and change. And one of the things that we're always seeking to press in as, as a church is just praying for people. And so Suzanne just had a story recently where somebody just prayed for her. So Suzanne, can you can we share that? So it was a couple of weeks ago, I had my right hand in a brace, which was really, really uncomfortable. We didn't know what was wrong. Mum and I speculated whether it was arthritis, and I thought, at 35 years old, not having that. No, 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 no. Um, and then I think Katie Phillips found me on a Thursday, just walking past, asked to pray for me, prayed for the, any problem to disappear. That evening, I had heat down my hand, tingling in my fingers, woke up the next day, gone. No more pain. I've always been quite sceptical about healing because it's never happens to me. But when you have it happen to you first time and you experience it, it is incredible. And it's, I think this time around, I'm more, my heart is more open for God. And I was able to accept the healing and it, I've had no pain ever since. So it was amazing. And thank you, Katie. <laughs> Anybody here got any wrist problems? <laughs> Father, we just pray for any pain in anybody's hands, wrists, fingers, to just take all of that away, Lord. Just release any tension, any uncomfortableness, and just bring new life into that hand, wrists, and fingers. And in your name, Father, let them be healed. Amen. Amen. And um, yeah, it just fits really well. Cause one of the things that we, you'll be aware, we started last week. If you weren't here last week, you won't know. But we started this series on the kingdom of God. I'm actually going to get my first slide up. And um, we don't want to just talk about this kind of principle and concept of the kingdom of God. We want to see it kind of occur and break out. And so that's partly why I'm having that testimony. And um, we're gonna have in some, you're going to have some notes. Some notes are going to be passed around one of the kind of thoughts from last week. If you are here last week, if you weren't, I'd encourage you to listen to it online, but there was a lot of information. So I thought I'd make it a little bit easier this week by giving you some handouts. It's always a high-risk strategy because you can spend your whole time just looking at the notes. We will get to the end of the notes, hopefully. But one of the things I, I started off last week, I'm not going to spend ages going over it, but this concept of the kingdom of God is foundational. Is pretty much the main thing that Jesus talked about. As we looked through the story of the early church, it was the main thing that they talked about. Jesus commanded many things uh, in the Bible, but he only said, seek first one thing, and that was seek first the kingdom of God. Also, as I mentioned, this message of the kingdom of God is a common thread that you find throughout Scripture. And an understanding of this concept of the kingdom of God will help us make sense of kind of key Christian beliefs and what I would call kind of a vineyard as a denominational key values that we have, like praying for the sick. The other thing I said, and again, I'm whizzing through it. If you're here, you'll be aware of it. If not, just listen to it. You can find it on YouTube. The kingdom of God is all about God's reign, him ruling his reign in us, and then as Joe was talking about even just earlier, as we say yes to him, as we obey him, his reign in us, and then ultimately his reign 
through us into our communities, into our places of community, into our places of influence and impact. And so this is not just a kind of conceptual thing that we'll be talking about. It has major practical implications uh, for our lives. And I kind of finished off last week by just kind of talking about this idea that when God created the earth, he kind of created it as kind of perfect. This was the kind of kingdom of God on earth. And, um, but sin came along and kind of marred it. But God's desire, and it hasn't changed, is to see his kingdom, his reign. And as we talk a little bit more this morning, that will become more, more than just a concept. What that looks like, what that means, coming here on earth. And so everything was perfect, but then he was just saying that this is what's going to happen. And so you get these, what we call the prophets, the end of what's called the Old Testament. I said last week, the Old Testament is everything before Jesus, and the New Testament is everything after Jesus. And they begin to kind of talk about another kingdom coming. With another king, they have this kind of phrase, the Messiah, this kind of promised king that would be from the line of somebody called David, who was kind of seen as the, kind of the best king that Israel had at the time. And one of the particular prophets, if you, it's not perfect, but if you can kind of slightly open your middle to your Bible, slightly wonky, you'll end up in Isaiah. And uh, he talks a lot about this kingdom, this Jesus. He talks about this future person coming along. And you see this in, his, in the notes. He talks about this idea of salvation, this idea of a savior. You know, I was thinking about it even as just as we were singing, you know, we were saying, call on the name of Jesus. You know what the name of Jesus means? He saves. It means savior. And, uh, and in Isaiah, he talks about bringing freedom. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will leap like deer, the dumb will shout for joy, and those in prison will be set free. If I was speaking in Africa, I'd expect someone to go like, hallelujah, praise God, or something. <laughs> After every one of that, it will bring peace. And this reign of God will affect man's entire being. And when I'm using this man, I just think of mankind. Every aspect will be changed. Transformation. In effect, the results of the fall and the effects of sin will be reversed. Wow. I mean, it should take our, our, our breath, breath away. And then in this book of Isaiah, I love it. I just started going back to it as I realized it was the most quoted book by Jesus. I've begun to delve back into it myself recently. Some of the most beautiful passages in Isaiah about the coming of the Spirit. You get these kind of illustrations again and again of deserts and this rain coming like a spirit and it brings transformation. And as many of you know, I've, I've worked overseas a number of years, and I've been to a number of places where there is desert, as in proper desert. And then when the rain comes, it all changes. Who wants change this morning? I can see a few. Who feels dried and weary? Well, let's, let's just do something now. Let's just... Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think. Yeah, just put your hand in, maybe on your heart. Maybe put your hand out, and I'm just gonna ask the spirit to come. Why? Why, why wait to the end? Don't know about you, but it's been a long week, and this week's gonna be even longer. I'm really looking forward to the week Monday. Why not now? 
Spirit of God just fall. You said you'd come like rain. Just come. Yeah, just weariness, heaviness. Um, yeah, confusion. We just say, just be gone in the name of Jesus. Just come, more your spirit. He's just here. It's going to linger here for a bit. Because ground breaks up when it lets rain just fall on it and sink in. So let's just let it sink in. Just come. Just more of you, God. Just go deeper. Thank you, God. It's beautiful just looking out. Let's keep focusing on God. It's a privilege of speaking. He's just touching different ones of you. It's just gentle. It's just gentle. It's gentle rain. Softening up. As you lie, just going to hit weary areas, hurt areas. See, whenever Jesus was touched or whenever somebody touched Jesus, they were healed. Just come. It's going to carry on talking, but just keeping that kind of posture of openness. I mean, this is what the kingdom of God is about. Thinking, what is the kingdom of God? Just think about some of those words. Refreshing, transformation, healing. These are the things. This is why it's not just a conceptual thing. It's a very real thing that should affect the way that we do life. And so the, the, the people around in Jesus' time, they'd kind of heard these prophecies they knew about this invitation of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. So there's kind of all this kind of excitement, anticipation. And then nothing. There's kind of like silence. There's quiet. Literally for 400 years. Then this bloke called John the Baptist kind of turns up. And he says, you know, I'm coming to prepare the way. And they, the, those guys there knew what that meant. They, they would have bring back to mind, because a lot of them would have memorized these passages from Isaiah. So when John the Baptist says, this is coming, they know what's coming. They didn't have need somebody to explain, like me, you know, what is the kingdom of God? And so that's why they're kind of getting so, so excited, this idea of this Messiah, this transformation, all these things that we just talked about are coming. Oh, it's jumped in. You know, the end, time of waiting had ended. 
And the good news has arrived. And Jesus kind of turns up. And one of the things as we begin to look at the story of Jesus, particularly from the book of Mark, and, uh, and again, I just started reading Mark, is you kind of see these three things kind of immediately authority and mystery. Whoa. And uh, it got this kind of immediacy of the kingdom where everything, if you're particularly reading the book of Mark, everything just seems to be happening immediately. You know, it says things like the next day, or at the most, in a few days' time. So it has things like Jesus turns up. And again, I'm just whipping through some stories. And I'd encourage you, if some of these stories are less familiar, to go back and to reread them. So if you want to read anything, read the first chapter of a book called Mark, chapter one. But you see this word come up immediately. It says, you know, Jesus was, you know, called, anointed by John the Baptist. And it says, immediately he went into the wilderness and he got tempted. Then he went around and he called these people, Simon, Simon and Andrew, and says, kind of follow me. And they immediately uh, followed him. Then the, kind of the next story, a, a demon begins to manifest, but Jesus rebuked it and it left. Yeah, good, you're getting this. Next one isn't immediately, but it says, you know, as soon. So it's kind of that idea of immediacy again. As he left the, the synagogue, you know, he healed Peter's kind of uh, mother-in-law, and she immediately got up and began to feed them. And, uh, and, and this just kind of goes on and on and on. This is kind of like immediately, now, now, now. Things are beginning to happen. This reality of the things they've been talking about, the kingdom of God in Isaiah is beginning to happen. The other thing you begin to see is just this authority that Jesus had. The Old Testament prophets, I kind of feel sorry for them because for ages they've been calling the people and says, submit to God, obey God, do what God tells you to do. And they weren't that great. But now Jesus comes along and he says, you know, like we already said, come follow me. And people immediately drop everything to begin to follow him. He begins to speak in synagogues and people go, wow, this person speaks with authority. And then not only does he speak with authority, but everything he does has this kind of underlying theme of authority, authority, authority. Demons get cast out. People are healed. He has this authority to forgive sins. He has the authority over nature to steal water, to multiply food. And then ultimately has authority over death. And one of the people, if you're not looking too far ahead in your notes, but I quote this person called Derek Murphy a few two times. And he has this phrase which I really like. And um, he says, each account of Jesus' authority has one common element. People are set free from whatever binds them. He's the one that we talked about already that brings freedom. I asked my wife, Katie, I could share a story. I remember a number of years ago, she came forward to get prayer about, she can't remember what she was going to get prayed for in particular, but... As she was praying, somebody just said, I just, I just see fear in your life, and I just pray that God would break that fear. And Katie didn't particularly think about it much more after that, but that night she kind of woke up and she realized she didn't have a fear that she says she'd had the whole life. She had this fear that somebody might just break into that house. And I remember, and I wasn't aware of the fear, I was aware of the consequences of it, because every night Katie would go, have you locked up the doors? And I'd go, yeah. And then she'd say, can you go and check again? And so every night I would have to go down and kind of just check the back door, the door, this, you know, everything's locked. 
But she woke up that night and she hit her. She goes, I'm not afraid. Now, the bit I like about this story, which I'd forgotten, is when God brings freedom, it doesn't just take something away, it gives you something. And she woke up, this was around Christmas, she got this prayer, and she woke up and she thought, I wonder if somebody's breaking in, but it wasn't from a place of fear. She thought, if somebody's breaking in at this time of year, it's probably because they're trying to get presents. Wouldn't it be great, this is the way my wife thinks, she goes, wouldn't it be great if we could go down, meet this kind of robber and go, tell us about, you know, your family and what you need presents for, and then we can get the presents which actually fit exactly what this person needs. See, this is what the kingdom of God looks like, setting people free and bringing them into new life. And that's what kind of Joe was even mentioning earlier on with these songs that we've been singing. He's here to bring freedom. Joe mentioned a few things. I also had a sense that people here who have fear of, of, of kind of, yeah, just the darkness. I think there's people, one of the ones that came to my mind was people just afraid of being alone or being left alone. Uh, and the other one that came to my mind was, I was just praying before God, was a fear of being out of control. I think there's like a couple of people here that people think, wow, you're really organized. And organized is, is a good thing. I'm into being organized. But what drives it is a fear of being out of control. And so we want to see some of those things break free. And if I'm speaking, begin just to press in. And even if your kind of label is not being mentioned, as one of the things I will touch on later is go for it. Grab hold of it. There is freedom in this place. Because he comes to set the captives free. Then we've got this kind of mystery. And I'm going to press into this a little bit. You're going to get this thing where Jesus said, you know, Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's one of the first things he, he said. Then you have situations, and again, you just got to trust me for this, but if you want to just do your homework, you know, want to do something, just read the whole book of Mark or one of the other gospels. But there's another story where Jesus comes to cast out the demon, and the demon says, hey, this is, this, this is not the right time. This is not the appointed time for me to be cast out. And kind of, kind of like Jesus goes, well, so what? Really, I'm in charge here. Then we also got this kind of mystery because we just said that Jesus came and is beginning to fulfill some of the Old Testament. You know, those passages about, you know, the blind seeing, the lame walking, but there's other aspects that don't seem to be fulfilled. They were expecting this kind of freedom, but they're still underneath the Roman oppression. And there's still these tensions. And so there's kind of like, what's this about? Even this guy that I mentioned already, John the Baptist, sent some of his disciples because he's like confused. It's like, what? I was expecting you to come to do this, that, and the other. And for him particularly, it was very relevant because that passage of freedom talks about being set free from captivity and he was in prison. And so he's like, this doesn't make, this doesn't kind of like make sense to me. It's like you're doing some bits and not some other bits. And so I want to just delve into it because this is an important concept, as I will show at the end, it has really important outworkings. So you're ready. Think of it maybe like a roller coaster. Hopefully it'll be fun. Hopefully you'll remember it for a long time, but hopefully nobody gets sick as we go for the, the twists and turns. And so when it comes to the, this kind of this mystery, we have this aspect, and I put it there, the kingdom will come, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming immediately, the kingdom is going to be delayed. There you are. 
<laughs> go and think on that. These t- statements are going to seem like they're kind of contradictory. How can you be kind of simultaneously in the future and in the present? But yet this is precisely where the mystery lies. Wherever there are truths in Scripture that are in creative tension with each other, the danger is that we're going to shift into one aspect or we shift into the other aspect and we're called to live with that tension. And this tension, as I will show, is not just a theological head tension. This is a tension that we sometimes live with in our everyday lives and we have to press in. So this idea of the kingdom uh, kind of will come. You know, Jesus talked a lot about the kind of two ages, this age and the age to come. Nearer the end of his life, be, you know, his disciples come to him and say, what is it going to look like? And so he begins just to explain. There's a whole load of chapters in a book called Matthew. And he begins to use words like tribulation, a day of judgment, a day when there's going to be a great feast, and the day when all the nations are gathered, where there's full restoration. He talks about this kind of being out there. But there's also that sense we talked about already, the kingdom of God has come. You know, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is amongst you. The signs of his authority demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come. There's a verse in Matthew 12, 28, where he says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's like it's here. Because I'm casting out demons, this is a demonstration. The kingdom of God has come here. The king has come. Things have changed. And I could go on and, uh, and on, but even this transition of the kingdom of God has come is marked in our calendars. We have BC, before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, the year of the Lord's reign. Or don't, you, know, you don't have to have a great Latin background. Dominion, dominion is where we get dominion from. The year of the Lord's dominion. His kingdom has come. Remember that every time you write a date. This is the year the kingdom has come. It was so marked, it's marked to calendars. So you got this kingdom will come, the sense the kingdom is here, the, the sense the kingdom is coming immediately is out there. If we can grab hold of it. You know, Jesus says, he uses this phrase, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like, it's within reach. Particularly someone like me who's got a short arm span. It's within reach. You just got to lean out a bit. It's there. We can get hold of it. It's there. But there's also this aspect the kingdom of God would be delayed. And like it says, these passages that you find in this book called Matthew, and he says, you know, be careful. You know, because I may be delayed. He has a couple of parables. There's a, one parable in particular where he gives all these kind of servants different amounts of what they call talents, kind of gifts, money. And he says, use it wisely. And then some of them think, he's not going to come back. You know, he should have come back by now. And God says, you know, I will come back. But it might be a little bit longer than you think. So there is this mystery there. Even Jesus said he, no one knew the hour, the exact time when the kingdom of God would come in all its fullness. So... How do we make sense of that? I know I whipped through that. And that's probably why I gave you some notes to kind of make your life a little bit easier. Well, just a few things that maybe will help us understand it. 
You see, particularly the Old Testament prophets often held together the events of the immediate and the distant future in one prediction. They didn't seem to get so caught up with the tension as we do. So when in Isaiah talks about liberation, they saw it fulfilled when the Israelites came back from, ex- from exile to their land. But as far as they were concerned, they hadn't seen it yet fulfilled in its fullness. To maybe use another example of this kind of where we have a, an immediate awareness of something happening, but there's a delay or something, is passages which we actually didn't use in our church last week, but many churches would have used last week. Last week, if you're not aware, as a church, we celebrate what's called Pentecost. It's like the birth of the church. It's when disciples, the followers of Jesus, were waiting, and the Spirit of God fell. And there's some verses from a book, an Old Testament prophet in Joel, where it talks about, and I always get wrong, who does what? But it's like the young people will see dreams, and the old people have visions. And we love to quote that. And it's like, yes, it's happening. But the next few verses talk about kind of like the blood turning and the moon changing color and darkness and the earth cracking up. We don't tend to preach in those verses because we haven't yet seen those come. There's that immediate fulfillment to something, but there's the aspect of that which is to come. So as I put in your notes, just to summarize it, the fact that the kingdom has come and is yet still to come creates an unexpected period of delay in which this world continues while the next world is already present. I forgot to um, not um, get my short notes. The Old Testament prophets expected that the arrival of the age to come would coincide with the termination of this present age. But because of what happened in Jesus, we are forced to conclude that the age to come began in some mysterious way prior to the termination of the present age. An interim period exists between the coming and consummation of the kingdom. The kingdom is already here, but not yet. The two ages coexist. The age to come is present, but the the present age is not ended. It's like you're beginning to see maybe some of the first fruits of this kingdom of God here now. But we haven't yet seen it in its utmost fulfillment. Jesus kind of gave us a taste of what it can look like, but there is more. He's inaugurated it. He's started it off. And occasionally we see glimpses of it. One of the things that those who know me know that I love the story of a revival where God just turns up and people just begin to cry out and say, what must I do to be saved? Well, we're told at the end of the age that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as soon as we get a glimpse early of what that will look like. And this should kind of stir our hearts and encourage us to go, God, I want to see that now. I want to see that now. I don't want to just talk about it. I don't want to just dream about it in the future. I want to see that now. That should create hope and anticipation in us. So quickly, because I'm very aware of time, I haven't even had notices yet, four practical uh, implications or applications of this. Firstly, I put in your notes, this is what we, we, we talk about in the vineyard, this phrase, quest for the radical middle. And what I mean by this is when we begin to talk about the kingdom of God now and not yet, it creates a tension and we try to keep what we call a balance. So to give you two very 
good examples. One is suffering. It's ironic that this, exactly this time next week, I'll be training uh, 13 people with this organization, Frontiers, that I work with, who are going to go and work in the Muslim world. And I'm teaching them on my, my, my training is on suffering, persecution, and endurance. And, uh, and I find that with the people that come in, depending on their church background, they tend to be either one side or the other side. And so you have those that are kind of thinking about the not yet. It's not, you know, Christ, the kingdom of God has not yet come. And so they major in on, on that. And so they tend to be very good. They know verses like, take up your cross daily. And Jesus said, I will send you like wolves amongst, you no, know, sheep amongst wolves. Uh, and so they tend to be very good at dealing with suffering and difficulties. But sometimes they have very little expectation that God's going to move or do anything. And then certain people that come maybe, um, and I'm going to generalize here, more from what I would call a Pentecostal charismatic background, have a greater hunger and expectation that God can move. But if they don't have this idea that there is this not yet, when things begin to go wrong, sometimes they crumble. I've had some friends recently who went through some great training with a great church, two-year training. I remember saying to them, did you ever get taught how to suffer well, how to keep the joy of the Lord before you like Jesus did for the cross? And they said, no. And then when difficulties came, they couldn't cope with it. That's why we talk about the, kind of the, the radical middle. This living with a kind of sense of like, God can move at any moment now. But an awareness that things will not be perfect as they should be till Christ returns fully in his glory. This is where it becomes real. It's the same when it comes to the issue of healing. I mean, there's a lot of similarities uh, between it. And again, I, I see this sometimes, and I've been through various church um, backgrounds and I have a great admiration f- for all of them and I want to grab the bit from here and the, and the bit from there and so there is a sense of the tension of like we do this every week in church we believe that God is a God who heals so we are always going to press into that we're always going to have that hunger we're always going to have that expectation we're always going to say legs grow we're always going to say ears open eyes be opened we're going to press into that. But we also have a realization, and this is where the tension, and for some of you, this tension is very, very real. Because you come forward and we pray for you, but you still have pain in your bodies. You are still suffering because the not yet is still there. That is a reality. See, when you don't have that, if you just live with the, the everything is now, and some, you're praying for somebody and they're not got healed, then you begin to get the blame game. Somebody's got to be blamed for this person not getting healed. But when you have this underpinning of the theology of God that is the now and the not yet, then you can keep pressing into God. And when you don't see it, you go, God, let the not yet become the now. That is where we want to be as a, as a church. We want to live on that kind of radical edge, on that quest for the radical middle. You know, even later on, in a, in a, when I finish speaking, we finish the notice, we're going to have a time where it's like, we're going to pray for the sick. Because we're never going to stop praying for the sick. Because it is a key value for us. I'm going to do a couple more things and I will end. I'm glad I wrote some notes because I won't get through all of them. One of the other things is just when we begin to get a grasp of the kingdom of God, it will affect how we pray and what we pray. 
You see, when you have a glimpse of, you see, it's very easy to pray this prayer. Jesus taught us, you know, pray your kingdom come. It can become like an empty phrase. God, let your kingdom come. But when you begin to grasp what that means and what that looks like, then it begins to make you pray with expectation. One of the reasons I love reading stories, like I said, about revivals, because I read those stories and I think, if he did it then, why, can't, you know, why not now? If he can just get people who are wandering away from God, have no interest in God. I've just been up to the Hebrides a few months ago, and the stories there where people are just living their own lives and then just like they fall before God in the fields. Nobody's even spoken to them. Nobody's even preached to them. And they're saying, what must we be, do to be saved? When people randomly from the whole village and towns just begin to turn up at the church at three o'clock in the morning, and saying, tell us about Jesus. That's not normal, but that's the kingdom of God now. And I'm like, why not now? Why not now? And so we're going to press into that. When we hear stories of the disciples walking and the shadows healing people, we haven't done that yet. I'm trying to work out if we've got a shadow here somewhere. <laughs> I don't create a shadow. Somebody change the lights. No. You know, this morning at the end, can you just walk past the shadow? I don't know. We're just going to have... People standing here and you just walk past the shadow and get healed and the handkerchiefs get healed. There's way more out there. And we're saying, God, we want that. And yet we're aware there is that kind of tension. But let's not stop ever encouraging each other. Keep going forward for prayer again. Keep going forward. for. I know last time you went forward, nothing seemed to happen. But you know what? God is still good and we're pressing into the kingdom of God. Let's keep having that mindset. And let that shape the prayers that we do. And I, I give a quote there, and you're going to have to read it in your own time, but I love the last line. One walks out to such a prayer meeting believing anything can happen. Wow. Let's become a church that when we walk out of prayer meetings, when we walk into this building, it's like anything can happen. Why? Why can anything happen? Because God is God. He's over all. He's the creator of all things. And he's invited us to pray, your kingdom come. That's why anything can happen. So let's have that kind of mind space. And lastly, I'm glad I wrote my longest notes in this one, so I'm going to summarize it. Why is it important? Because we're called, and I said, mentioned this last week, it's always been there from the Garden of Eden. When God said he wanted to see his kingdom of God extend, that was always a kind of partnership. See, Jesus was never a limited company, he was a partnership. Those no business. Let me down, that went straight over your head. But um, he's inviting us to partner with him in seeing the kingdom of God come in our situations. To see this present, see coming to the present, that which is in the future. You know, this guy, Derek Murphy, asked a good question. Is like, if there is this tension, is there anything we can do to cause the future to come into the present? And his kind of long answer, and if you read the notes, is yes when we get involved. You know, you often say, God, I want to see your kingdom here. And I think God's like, yeah, so do I. When are you going to begin to proclaim the good news? You see, there's a kind of strong link between proclaiming the good news and seeing the good news. What I mean by good news is just lives being changed and healed and transformed. It's when we do that. And so I, I'm going to come in and land let Joe have time to do some stuff. But right at the end, I threw out that challenge and I summarized it. 
a few words. I'd encourage you to go away and look at those, those notes. I used a, a phrase you find in the Psalms called Selah, which really means just pause and reflect. Do we really want to see more of the kingdom of God? And we all know that the right answer is yes. But do we really? Are we really willing to go and announce, to proclaim? You see, as you read those passages I put there, there seems to be a very strong link between proclaiming, declaring, speaking out, and things happening. And so, yeah, I don't know how Joe wants to do this, but you know, one of the things we want to do is today is just let you know let your kingdom come that's why sometimes in the vineyard we say come holy spirit it's just another way of saying god we want to see you move in this place and then creating space for that